we as a church have been walking through the book of Ruth, book of Ruth, and so we saw in the first week the book of Ruth is the story of a, of a family that is destitute and they're left without everything. And um, a, a man named Elimelech goes into a far country with his family, and he um, he goes into this far country uh, looking in search of uh, in search of um, food. And while he's in that far country in the land of Moab, his um, he dies, and his two sons die, and his wife is left widow, widowed, and she has her two daughter-in-laws, and she tries to encourage her daughter-in-laws to go home, and of course they they won't, they refuse to, and so her two daughter-in-laws uh, decide that they're going to, or one of her daughter-in-laws decides not to um, to go home and stay with her, Ruth, and the other one, Orpah, does go home, and so we saw last week that um, by God's kindness and God's providence, um, Ruth was able to uh, come to the the land of a man named Boaz, who's a kind man, a generous man, a good man, a worthy man. And we saw God's providence guiding these two families together. Um, and we, we, because maybe we know the end of the story, we're expecting that redemption is coming at the end of this story. And so uh, we're looking forward to chapter 3 with anticipation, and that's where we will pick up. I'm going to work my way through the pass it through the whole chapter, but for now we're just going to start with verses 1 through 4. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whom, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Let's pray. Father, one more time, I pray that you would open up your word, that you would help us to see it and to savor it, to taste it, to marvel in your good and kind mercy and providence. Pray for these things in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. This story starts with two tensions. Two tensions. This chapter starts with two tensions. Uh, the first tension is that Ruth and uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, need redemption. Ruth and Naomi need redemption. See, when they had gone into the far country, when they had gone and sold their um, land, uh, they they had probably had to sell their land to get out of debt. And so their their land was kind of, um, it was mortgaged off to, to somebody. We don't know who. This is the best scenario. And so we see that Ruth and Naomi, when they come back, they don't even have the land really to work. Not only that, but in the the Hebrew way of thinking, uh, the the family was supposed to stay attached to a parcel of land. And so that would be their inheritance forever. And, and so for for Ruth and Naomi, not only do they not have possession of the land, but they don't have any heirs to take possession of the land when the land uh, is up for redemption uh, in the year of Jubilee or if they were able to buy it back. And so um, they don't have any kind of, they don't have any land, they don't have any means. It looks like the whole family is going to be cut off, which is, of course, a source of great shame for the family. And so they need redemption. They need somebody who can produce uh, heirs through them to provide for the family. They need someone who can buy the land back. Uh, they, they need redemption. And God, by his providence, has brought them to a man named Boaz, a man who, by law, is one of their redeemers. Um, he, he's a close relative of theirs. And we saw last week that Boaz is a man of outstanding character. 
He's a man who goes out of his way to be generous to Ruth. He's a man who goes out of his way to protect Ruth. I mean, you imagine she's a, a powerless young woman, a foreigner. Uh, it would have been very easy for her to be taken advantage of, but God in his kindness brings her to Boaz and Boaz uh, uh, protects her and Boaz is their, one of their redeemers, that Boaz is a close family relative. And so the second tension is this. She's been with Boaz now for three months, and he seems like a good guy. It seems like a natural fit. And yet Boaz has taken no initiative uh, to to redeem them, to marry them. And I would ask for, for a raise of hands, ladies, who, how many of you have been in that situation where you're just waiting for that guy, and he's just being oblivious and not paying attention? Um, yeah, I'm not going to follow that up any farther. And so Naomi decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. And so Naomi, uh, Naomi pulls Ruth aside and Naomi says, look, I want to find rest for you. Now that word rest, if you'll remember when we talked through chapter one, that word rest is how, um, Naomi had actually blessed Ruth and Orpah to try to send them back to their homeland and to their home gods. And so, uh, that word rest is, is, it was significant because it, she had said to Ruth and to Orpah, may the Lord give you rest. And of course, Ruth had turned that down so that she could be uh, part of Naomi's family and be part of the people of Israel and be a worshiper of Yahweh. But even still, uh, Naomi wants that for wants that for Ruth, and so she decides that she's going uh, to to see what she can do to make it so that Ruth finds the rest that she needs, finds the redemption that she needs. So she hatches this plan. She says, "Go down, go down." Um, at after uh Boaz is done threshing he's in the threshing floor and go down after he's eaten after he's a little bit uh he going into food coma and after he's had a beverage or two and he's starting to uh kind of you know wind down for the night and uncover his legs and i think that's just to wake him up and um and lie down at his feet and this is the plan now on the face of it we have to admit this is um a risky plan right because you imagine you're in a shame-based culture and you see a, a woman who's cloaked, nobody knows, going down to a man in the middle of the night in harvest. We're all adults. We, we can put two and two together. You can imagine how it would, there's the potential for rumors to start flying. I don't believe that Ruth and Naomi are trying to um, jump the gun here. I don't think there's any kind of propositioning or anything inappropriate necessarily, but it kind of looks that way. And you can see how it could look that way. And I don't think Ruth and Naomi would have taken this step if they hadn't had all the confidence in the world that Boaz was someone who's protecting them. In fact, we saw that two different times in the last chapter, that Boaz had warned his young men, hey, hands off. You stay away from her. Don't don't touch her. And so Boaz had reiterated several times that this is a safe place. So I don't think that Ruth and Naomi would have taken this step if it hadn't been a sanctuary, a safe place. And yet it kind of has, you could see how it might look um, suspicious. So there's that on the face of it. And it kind of reminds us of another scripture that we had talked a little bit about last week, about the story of one of Ruth's ancestors. If you'll remember that Ruth descends through, uh, Ruth descends from Moab, who, whose father, uh, forefather was the man Lot, who was Abraham's idiot nephew. And Lot had, uh, run away from Sodom and Gomorrah as being destroyed. And he was in a cave with his, uh, with his two daughters. And his daughters got him drunk and through them, uh, they conceived 
they conceived uh, uh, children. And from that come the nations of Ammon and Moab. We talked a little bit about that last week, how at the foundation of that family, at the foundation of that people, there's guilt and shame and perversity and incest and drunkenness. And that is part of the cycle of this people. And so you can see, it almost looks like history is going to repeat itself with this family. It almost, you can see how someone might think that, like, oh, of course Ruth the Moabite is going down there to take, to take advantage of the situation. And I don't think that's their intention, but I, I do think that there is an illusion here on purpose, and we'll see why. So how is Ruth going to respond? Well, we see Ruth's response in verses 5 through 9. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At mid, I just, verse eight is the funniest verse in the whole book, sorry. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Ruth does exactly as Naomi instructs her. She goes down. In fact, it actually emphasizes that she is quiet. She sneaks in quietly. Nobody notices her. She goes down. She uncovers Boaz's feet, and she lies down at the end of his feet. And he wakes up in the middle of the night, and behold, a woman is there. He says, quite naturally, what we would all say, who are you? She says, behold, I am Ruth. And then in verse 9, there's there's this really important language. He says, I am Ruth. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is two important things that he she is saying here, and they indicate so much of how she understands the Bible and so much how she's a real worshiper of the Lord. First, she uh first I'll say she says that he is a redeemer. In other words, that she recognizes that God has brought Boaz into her life for this time and for this purpose. And so she recognizes that it's God's plan to redeem her through Boaz. And so therefore, uh, she recognizes that through Boaz, she can produce uh, produce offspring that will keep the, the name of her dead husband's family alive and it will keep the land and the family and there will be redemption. And so there's this important, um, there's this important note where she says that there's a little bit of a hint of obligation. There's a little bit of a hint of, this is your job. There's a little bit of a hint of, it's time to man up, is what she's saying to Boaz. There's a little bit of a hint of that. She's saying, there's kind of the unstated question, why haven't you done this yet? But she also says, spread your wings over me. We talked about this last week, and it bears repeating that um, this is one of the ways that the, the Bible speaks of true saving faith. We saw this last week in chapter 2, verse 12, and I'll read this again. The Lord, and this is Boaz speaking to Ruth, says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so Ruth here is, um, Ruth here is expressing the relationship she has with Boaz in the same way that Boaz expressed her relationship with the Lord. And under this, there's this really profound understanding of what marriage and what love towards other humans is. It's an extension of the love that we've received from God. And that's very much what she is asking for from Boaz. She's, she's asking Boaz to extend the love that God has shown her and shown him to her. 
And that's very much what is at the root of the how the Bible talks about marriage and understands marriage is that when you and I enter into marriage or even other friendships, we are extending the love that God has shown us towards others. And that's what she's asking for from Boaz. And that, that's what's going on here. So you see all of this is going on and she even perhaps goes beyond even uh, Naomi's instructions in saying this. And here's Boaz's response in verses 10 through 13. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So we see here that Ruth is, uh, Boaz responds to Ruth, and we, we see here a number of things that he does. First, we see that he praises uh, her character. He says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, that in that you have not gone after young men. He even calls her a worthy woman in a little bit. And that word worthy woman is the, is the Hebrew phrase, chayil uh, ashet, chayil ashet. And it's important because um, in Proverbs 31, the end of Proverbs 31, there's that section about the attributes of the noble woman, and um, it calls her a worthy woman, a chayil ashet. This is one of the reasons we talked about this a couple times, that in the Hebrew Bible, Ruth is placed after the book of Proverbs. It's because Ruth is an embodiment of the woman from Proverbs 31. She's an embodiment of the noble woman. She's an embodiment of, of all the virtues that the, the Bible is trying to extol in womanhood. This is Ruth, and Boaz is praising her lavishly with this description. And Boaz says, you have made this last kindness greater than the first. That word kindness is the word chesed. And the word chesed describes covenant love. It's the, the love of the covenant. And so just like we talked about how Ruth saw and asked for Boaz to extend the same love towards her that God had extended towards him, so this idea of, uh, of kindness, of chesed, is of Ruth extending the same covenant love she's received from the Lord towards Boaz. And in a marriage, when, when both people are willing to extend the same love towards one another that God has shown them, this is what the Bible is saying. This is what makes for a good marriage. This is what makes for a healthy marriage. When we extend towards one another the same love and generosity and kindness and graciousness and forgiveness that we ourselves have received. Now, there's a catch. Verse 12 gives a catch. And you got to understand just how much of a letdown verse 12 is. Because up until this point, the author has been, uh, he's been, kind of driving this wagon. He's kind of been telling this story that Ruth and Boaz are meant for each other. They're both the, the worthy, uh, she's the worthy woman and he's a worthy man. And there's, there's, there, there's not an accident that they're brought together. And it just seems like it's chemistry. And then all of a sudden we, we're, we're running full speed and we hit verse 12. And it's such an anticlimax. Says, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. 
Okay, so on the one hand, this tension that we have with Boaz is resolved. Because the reason that Boaz hadn't been initiating, hadn't been pursuing, is because um, it wasn't his to do. That there was a redeemer nearer than him. And so Boaz really is a man of integrity. He's kind of vindicated in light of the circumstances. And yet, it seems like this is just one more hurdle. One more obstacle, one, one more thing to surmount on the way to redemption. Just one more thing that they gotta get figured out. One more, one more step and one more stage. And it really is such a letdown in this chapter. And yet, nevertheless, Boaz pledges that he is not going to remain idle and that he is going to do everything he can to see this situation resolved. Says in verse 13, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And so Boaz encourages Ruth to stay, and probably that's to stay just, uh, again, he's trying to protect her reputation. And so he just says, stay here, and in the morning when no one can recognize you, we'll see, that's the time she gets up. If he'll redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if the, if that other redeemer isn't willing to do, undertake his obligation, he's not willing to do what he's supposed to do, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you, lie down until the morning. Okay, so we see the story, it's hit a snag, it's hit a hitch, there's a, there, there's an obstacle that has to be overcome. And, and the story just kind of lets us linger there for a while. It says in verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So we see here, on the one hand, that there's kind of this note of hope, there's this note of resolution, that the redemption is even closer now than it was. And in fact, we actually see in verse 18, or verse 17, where, where Ruth is saying what Boaz said. He says, you must not go back empty handed. That reminds us of what something that Ruth, uh, Naomi had said in chapter one, where Naomi said in chapter one, verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. It's the same word. And so it's this idea that God is going to restore. God is going to redeem. God is going to fill her up. She will no longer be empty. That's part of it. And yet there's kind of this note of just not yet, of waiting. In fact, even the fact that Boaz gives her six measures of barley is very significant. Because in the Hebrew, uh, seven is the number of completion. And seven is the number of wholeness. And instead of giving her seven measures of barley, it's only six. It's just one shy of completion, one shy of resolution, one shy of uh, of seeing all these things worked out. And even the way that Naomi, uh, even the way that Naomi ends this chapter, it ends on a note of waiting. So she replied, "Wait, my daughter." 
till you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will saddle, settle the matter today. And this, that's where the chapter ends. It's on a note of waiting. And Ruth and Boaz are, are, are left to, to ponder, and we, we as the audience are left to linger in this sense of in-between and not yet, and it's all red, but it's not quite there, and it's just one more mountain, one more hurdle, one more thing to, to uh, get over before resolution, before redemption happens. And so many of us in our lives, we know that feeling. We know what it's like to be in the waiting room of life. We know what it's like to to wait. And we know what it's like to uh, have to sit because resolution isn't there. We can see a glimmer on the horizon, but it's not dawn yet. And we know that there's there's something that we just want to see everything be worked out. And yet there's all these un, un finished ends and there's all these things in our life that is just not quite what we were hoping that our life would look like and in moments like that and in moments like I'm sure Ruth and Naomi experienced there in this story they they want to know where is God why why hasn't God finished this what is God doing what is God like in these situations and we see a couple pointers towards what God has done in fact we actually see in this passage that God is uh, God is the same God that he was in the last passage first he's a God of providence he's got a providence god is not absent in this scenario just like we talked about last week how the the matter uh, she happened by chance in chapter 2 to come to boaz's uh, family and that's or boaz's field and that's kind of a, an emphatic way of describing that god was in the the midst of this situation so we see here and even in verse 18 that that ruth or naomi says until you learn how the matter turns out that that there's kind of this turn of phrase that indicates God is not absent. It's kind of not quite saying enough so that we fill in the gap that God is there and God is working in the mess and He's working in the midst of us and He hasn't abandoned them. And it's not a mistake that Ruth and uh, Boaz are together. It's not a mistake that this situation has happened. It's not, God has not forgotten about them. And so God is God of providence. We also see that God is a God of covenant love. That God is a God of covenant love. Even in the way that Ruth and Boaz address one another where they say, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness, this last chesed. Or, or where we see that, or where we see that, um, in verse nine, that, uh, Ruth says, spread your wings. Again, we, we note that that is a, a description of kind of God's covenant love. And even the statement down in verse 13, where Boaz says, as the Lord lives, that's a, that, that's a phrase that invokes the, the covenant nature of God, that He is the God who is, He is the great I am, and it's the name that He revealed to Israel when He was making the covenant. And so there's kind of this idea that not only is God, is God's providence in control of the situation, but God loves His people. Uh, as Romans says, that He is working all things for the good of those who love Him. And he hasn't forsaken this people. He hasn't forgotten his people. He hasn't abandoned them. And he, he's working on their behalf. He's working to show them kindness and, and love that he, this is really going to turn out for their best. Uh, as we see in uh, James 1, that uh, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. That God only gives good gifts to his children, even if it is a hard good gift. Even if it is a difficult thing, God gives good gifts to his children and he doesn't change. He's not arbitrary. It's not like sometimes he gives good gifts and sometimes he gives wicked. 
No, God only gives good gifts, which means if we're going through suffering, God has something good to give us in the midst of suffering. But third, we see that in this passage, even as this passage is building up to the great redemption that will happen next week, that God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of redemption. We saw this last week in chapter 2, verse 20 where Naomi is praising the the Lord. It says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. That God is in the business of making what is wrong right, of making what is broken whole, of making what is dead alive, of making the one who's guilty justified, that God is in the business of redemption. And God is going to provide a plan for redemption for for Boaz and for Ruth and for Naomi. He's going to provide a way for all these things to work their way out. And he hasn't abandoned his people and he, he's, he's working all these things so that he can redeem them and make these things whole. This is God who's in the business of redemption. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that this passage reminds us of Genesis 19. It's not a mistake that this passage is written in such a way that we catch that illusion. Because in Genesis 19, we saw that that's where the pattern of brokenness and of guilt and of shame and of perversity and drunkenness and covetousness started in this family. And we see in Ruth 3 that in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the mess, that God is breaking that cycle. God is in the business of redemption. And of course, for us Christians, we know that the ultimate redemption that God gives is through Christ. Because Christ purchased us with his blood, we, you and I are bought, we're washed, we're made new, that we're, no longer are we guilty, we're justified, no longer are we dead, we're alive. The book of Ephesians says it this way, in him, in, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of making what is broken whole. And so, There's a story in this chapter, and there's a God in this chapter, and yet we see here that Ruth and Boaz act in accordance with that belief that God is in the business of redemption. Because Ruth and Boaz, in this passage, in this chapter, have some decisions to make. Uh, Ruth and Boaz have some decisions to make. In fact, we actually, I believe that we see um, Ruth and Boaz model uh, model for us what it looks like to live as wise as we. It's by God's providence that we read that passage from Colossians together to, to walk as wise in this world. I think Ruth and Boaz provide for us a model of what it looks like to walk that way and to live that way. When, when we're in that waiting room, when we're waiting and, and we want resolution, we want to force it, we want everything to work out, that Ruth and Boaz are providing for us a model of what it looks like to walk as those who are walking with Christ. So I think we see a couple of things, um, a couple of these various tensions that are in this passage. On the one hand, um, Ruth and Boaz in this passage um, almost kind, of, almost kind of seem like they're supposed to be together, right? Ruth is a 
Chayil Eshet, a worthy woman. And we, if you go back to chapter two, you see that Boaz, Boaz is called a worthy man. He is called in verse chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the na- clan of Elimelech. In fact, that word for worthy man, that phrase is Chayil uh, Gibor, a mighty man of valor. So Boaz is a man's man. He's probably out there with Peter hunting every morning and bringing back bucks. And he's uh, he, he's uh, protecting the powerless. He's uh, he's doing everything that he needs to do to provide uh, redemption and salvation for this uh, for this family. And uh, he is he, he Boaz is a, a worthy man. And uh, in a very similar way, Ruth is a worthy woman. She's a chayil get She's a it seems like they're almost made for each other. And I, maybe, maybe I'm a sick person, but I always kind of like it when I watch the rom-coms and they don't end up together. That's just, that's just me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sick person. Anyways, but you kind of have that sense, like you want that, like they just seem like they're made for each other, like they're fit for one another. And not only that, but this passage extols the, the beauty of romantic love. This passage is not opposed to romance. In fact, we actually see that it takes place in a, a context of the covenant that we have with God. That, that the Lord covers up His people with His wings. And, and that His people return that love with kindness to, towards the Lord. And so we see here that Ruth and Boaz are almost playing those parts, that they're extending the love that they've received in the covenant towards one another. And that there, there's kind of this anticipation of what a, a, a marriage in Christ looks like. And, and so we, we see kind of looking forward towards, towards that reality that there's, that there is kind of this, the beauty of marriage love, marital love and, and, and what it would look like. And yet, we, we also see that Ruth and Boaz embody the wisdom that's told to us in the Song of Songs. It says, we're in Song of Songs 2 7, it says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It says that again in chapter eight, verse, Song Songs, verse eight, chapter eight, verse four. And so there's this desire, there's this kind of the narrative is, is trying to fo- almost force them together. And yet they're walking wisely and they're, 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 they're understanding that they can't go all the way yet, that there's this purity that both of them are, are walking in. Not only this, but Boaz seems like he's being He's kind of being a man of integrity because nobody would have blamed him and nobody would have judged him and no, no probably evil would have come if he had gone ahead and if he had taken advantage of the situation, if he had gotten, went ahead and married Ruth and redeemed her right there on the spot. Nobody would have, uh, nobody would have really looked at him askew. I mean, after all, this other guy's not doing his job and yet Boaz decides that he's going to walk in integrity. And again, this is just an embodiment of the wisdom of the Bible. Proverbs 28, 18 says, whoever walks in integrity will be delivered. And so by walking in integrity, by walking in righteousness, Boaz is trusting that the Lord is going to bring about resolution. How, how do you do this? How do you walk as wise when there's these good things, these good options that seem like they're competing with one another? I mean, how can you choose between the good and the right way? How can you choose between, uh, th- th- like marriage is a good thing, and yet it's just, they, they, there's some things that they have to cross their T's and dot their I's first. That they, I mean, how can you walk and hold these things in tension well? 
And I think the reason that Ruth and Boaz are given to us as examples is because they trust the Lord first. Because as Proverbs, again, Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Ruth and Ruth and Boaz and Naomi trust that the Lord has got this. And so because they trust the Lord, they're willing to take the long way, to not take the shortcut. They're willing to go about this and they're, they're willing to wait well. That they're willing to walk in integrity, even if it means the struggle and the stumble of, of not that sense of resolution yet. And I don't think... I don't think it's possible to trust the Lord. I don't think it's possible to have this kind of trust that he will truly guide us if we don't believe that he's in the business of redemption. I think if we lose sight of the fact that God is the one who redeems, not us, that God is the one who makes what is whole, uh, what makes what is broken whole, not us. If we lose sight of the fact that God is the one who redeems us and restores us, uh, then if we lose sight of that, it's going to be really hard to trust him with the future. If we forget all that he's done for us in the past, it's going to be really hard to trust that he's got this tomorrow. And so I think at the bottom of this is the true, trueness of this statement that Ruth really has come to take shelter under the wings of the God of Israel. And Boaz really, really does believe that the Lord is not going to abandon them, that he's not going to forsake them. Uh, Christians, when you are in the waiting room of life, when you are just waiting on the Lord to restore that marriage or to bring that child home, or when you are just wanting that promotion at work, or you really just, you're sick of college, and when you're just waiting for those moments to resolve themselves, and you want reconciliation, and you want redemption, and when you want what is broken to be made whole, the only way to get through those seasons, I think, is to believe first and foremost that God is in the business of redemption. That God is in the business of what is making broken whole, and of resolving all things, and of bringing, working all things to the good of those who love him. And if you believe that and you trust that and you trust that he really can do that for you and he really wants to do good for you and that it really is better just to trust him and to walk in integrity, then you will be able to walk wisely in the times of waiting. But if you and I lose sight of that fact, we think, I think I can redeem myself. I think I can fix this. This doesn't seem so hard. One by one, the bricks of our life will start to fall out and the ceiling eventually will cave in. Christians, if we want to walk wisely in times of waiting, it starts first and foremost with trusting that the Lord is in the business of redemption. And so as we apply this text, that's a good place to start. That only God can redeem. Only God can redeem. Only God can redeem that broken part in your life. Only the, the, the thing that is deep down that you really want fixed, that guilt that you feel or that shame that you feel or that relationship that is fractured. The only, the, the fundamental, the ultimate starting place for that is to trust that God can redeem that and you can't. And that means that you have to give up control. 
That's really hard. It's really easy to want to try to control things and to want to hold all things in your hands, and yet to believe that only God can redeem means that I believe that I can't. I can't solve that. I can't fix that on my own. Only God can redeem, which means, therefore, number two, that we must trust him with all our heart. That we can't waver between trusting in him and trusting him ourselves. We can't sit on the fence. We can't think, I can, I, I can do this, God. I got this, God. And you take that other thing. God, you do the really big thing. I'll do the really small thing. No, God says, I want all your heart. I want all your life. I want all of your kids. I want all of your marriage. I want everything. If you want me to redeem you, that means that you bow the knee. You confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord. If you and I are, are to trust him with our redemption, if you and I, it means that we're going to have to trust him with all of our heart. With all of our heart. I think in this passage we see an obvious elevation of the beauty of marital love. And yet it's not a, a, a marital love that is me-centered. It's not a rom-com kind of love. It's a love that is selfless. It's a love that extends the love that we've received from God towards others. It's a love that says, God has forgiven me. God has redeemed me. God has reconciled me. God has done all this for me. So let me extend this towards another. Without getting too into the weeds here, I believe that this is at the core of a lot of what it means to fight for a healthy marriage. Because we have been so discipled so poorly by this world about what romance looks like. We've been discipled so terribly to think you just got to find that person who will fix all your problems and who will complete you. That person doesn't exist. That God has put you in that person's life so that you can serve them and so that you can love them and so that you can cherish them and so you can be generous and so that you can uh, be patient and giving up all of your own all of your own expectations and all giving up all of your your right to be lord in this matter you're you're put in that person's life to serve them that's that's the foundation for godly marriage i think in this passage we also see an an obvious elevation of what it means to walk as a godly man and walk as a godly woman I mean, Ruth is called a chayel ashet, a Proverbs 31 woman. And if you want an exercise this week, take book of Ruth and take Proverbs 31 and try to find all the parallels between Proverbs 31 and Ruth. It's, they're, they're, they're very close to one another. And Boaz is a godly man. Boaz is a, is a man. He's a military man. He's a man's man. He's a man who cares for the, the one who no one else will, who protects the widow, who provides for the orphan. Boaz here is, is, is a man who is not only someone who exalts in all of the, all of the, uh, of the, of maybe some of the worldly characteristics of manhood, but who exalts in all the godly characteristics of manhood. Ruth and, Ruth and Boaz for, um, although they're not perfect models, they are someone that we should imitate and someone that we should try to be like to be man or woman. I think this passage also is an encouragement towards us to walk in purity, to not awaken love when it's not appropriate. I believe this passage is an encouragement to us to not awaken love before it is time to... to I think you see here the obvious vindication of, of Ruth and Boaz's a willingness to trust that the Lord will vindicate them, 
to trust that the long way really is the best way. To, to be willing to trust that the Lord has got this and to not rush it. I think you see an obvious vindication of that. I think you also see a vindication of what it looks like to walk with integrity. For Boaz here, he's walking with integrity. He's not urging what is his. He's not taking a shortcut. He's, he's not um, trying to find a loophole. He knows that this other person should redeem. And so therefore, that other person has the right of redemption first. And so he's willing to walk in integrity. You will never forget walking in integrity, Christians. You will never forget walking in holiness. Now, the last application that I would say is this. God can redeem all. God can redeem all. Maybe you say that's the same thing as only God can redeem. It's, it's not. I, I know that giving some of us these applications, myself included, this is putting a heaping pile of guilt on us because we know that we have fallen far short of the ideals of this passage. And we have not been the people that this passage holds up as models. And we have not, we have not always walked in integrity. We haven't always walked in purity. We haven't always been a godly man or a godly woman. And, and maybe you're hearing this and you're feeling a law put on you and you are feeling convicted by the Spirit. And I don't want to short circuit that or shortcut that, but here's what I do want you to know that God can redeem all. That even that brokenness, even that thing years ago that you still feel regret for, in that, you know, that thing is buried in your past, God can redeem that. That, that time where you've fallen short of the, the Bible and you know what you're supposed to do and you know you haven't lived up to it, God can redeem that. That time where you, your marriage has not been perfect and you haven't been a perfect parent and, and that time where you were in that relationship and you went too far, God can redeem all. There is nothing in our lives with it which is outside of his ability to redeem it. And so Christians, if you feel guilt over some of these things, bring it to the cross. Bring it to the cross because that is the power of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you alone redeem. We thank you for the good gift of having to relinquish control. How hard it is. Because so often we want to fix it. And yet we know that we must trust in you with our whole heart. And to trust that walking with integrity will yield a reward. Father, I know that maybe for some of us who felt guilt this morning, who felt weighed down by this passage, Father, maybe this is brought up in your kind providence. We believe it's not a mistake that this passage is being preached today and this sermon is being preached today and these people are here to hear it today. And we know that your spirit is a spirit who convicts. But God, we have to believe that that conviction is meant to bring us to confession, which is meant to bring us to forgiveness. So Father, I pray for us that you would help us, maybe repentant, maybe chastened, to come to the cross and to find the redemption, to find the forgiveness for trespasses that was purchased for us once for all by the Son of Man. And so we trust in Him, we trust in His blood, we trust that it really is enough and it really was enough for us and it will be enough for us for all our days. 
And so we hand all these things over to you, knowing that you and your goodness can redeem and restore and make us to walk in wisdom. Amen.